Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Stop. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I went backpacking or fishing overnight with a female friend. We're both fairly experienced backpackers and it was a spot we'd been to many times before on the Salmon River in upstate New York. We also brought her Kali along with us. 
We parked in the same spot we always did at the end of a dirt road, and hiked in about 45 minutes to our favorite fishing spot. Had a great day knocking back beers, swimming and pretending to fish. We put out the fire and went to bed around midnight. We were awakened about 3 am by the creepiest noise I've ever heard in my life. It honestly sounded like a demon, groaning and growling away maybe 5 feet back from the edge of our sight in some thick brush. Her usually fearless dog was cowering in the corner of our tent. I was kinda spooked but I calmed myself down, ran through the local wildlife in my head and decided it was probably a bobcat. For anyone who doesn't know, bobcats aren't very dangerous but they can make some supremely freaky noises, their territorial growls often sound like human screams or crying babies. I grabbed my mess kit, the BSA style one where one half is a frying pan and the other is a bowl, and head outside to try to scare it off. I repeatedly bash the two halves together as loudly as I can to frighten it, which has always worked in the past, I've even run off black bears a few times with this method. The thing DID. Not. Move. If anything, it got closer. I try not to attribute human emotions to wild animals but the growling sounded angrier. At this point my friend and the dog are out of the tent and Mr. Fearless is trying with all his might to drag her back down the trail toward the road. I shine my light into the dark and it reflects off of a pair of eyes that I swear looked human, peering out from a bush at about my chest height. Maybe it was crouching, maybe it was standing on something, but it damn sure wasn't a bobcat. I'm not proud of this but we fled in disarray, slept in the car in a McDonald's parking lot and went back to get our stuff in daylight. Nothing was taken but the site was tossed, even the tent interior. The one sensible thing I had managed to do during our retreat was re-zip the tent but it was open. Not clawed open, unzipped. Still have no idea what the hell that thing was. Haven't camped there since. Edit bonus. My high school had a pretty huge wooded area behind it that my fellow social outcasts and I used to play manhunt in after class. One day we came across a homeless guy who had died in his sleeping bag. Fortunately he had passed pretty recently so nothing too big had gotten to him yet but still pretty gross. I went up Echo Mountain with a girl I was dating once. It's a reasonably tough climb but at the top there are the ruins of this old hotel complex that burned down, several times, about a century ago. Old narrow gauge railway stuff, etc. Anyway, we get to the top and we're sitting on what's left of this concrete staircase, looking out over the city, and I hear a rustling in the bushes somewhere behind us. I turn around and it stops, so I shine my light on it. It's some guy in a weird hunched over pose, looking at me. Maybe 150 to 200 feet away. He just freezes in the beam of light for a second, then quietly sidesteps back behind a bush and disappears. I called out after him, but he must have gone back into his underground lair. Anyway, we decided we should head back down the mountain immediately. Still not sure if drugs or serial killer, but hey, we survived girl refused to go up Echo Mountain again though. I suppose, due to the nature of this page, a lot of you have heard of a not deer. For those of you who haven't, 
I pray you never find out firsthand. Oh, where are my manners? My name is Madison, I'm almost 25 years old, and I've lived in a tiny village called Ullin, pronounced Ullin, for about two years now. Shortly after moving here, I encountered one of these creatures said to only roam the Appalachian states. I know, it was after dark and you're going to ask if I'd been drinking or anything, or you're gonna say that my eyes were playing tricks on me with a deer in some shadows. First of all, I was stone cold sober that night, as I don't drink, save for once every other blue moon. Secondly, this. This thing was standing directly under a street light. I can't be losing my mind, right? Right? Pardon me, I'm getting ahead of myself. Allow me to start from the top. It was a stagnant, humid August evening in tiny Podinkullen, not Yulin, the sun had recently set and the stars had just started to wink to life in the gradient canvas of navy blue, purple and black overhead, so I'd probably set it at about 9 to 9.15 in the evening. Things were fairly quiet as they usually are in this little town, a dog barking in the distance and the occasional whisper of a car going down the main road about a block and a half from my house. I live with my wonderful fiancé, we'll call him Kevin, as I'm not sure he'd want his identity known, and his name isn't really relevant to the occurrence, directly across the street from a lovely, small baseball park. I used to love going for evening walks through this little park, until that night. I finished letting our two dogs outside for a run and potty before their bedtime and fed our deaf cat, Lance, then I grabbed up my double-decker cheeseburger-shaped coffee mug-slash-pipe, baggie of weed, yes, I do smoke pot regularly, but don't jump to any conclusions yet, and Lucky Bic Lighter, which is red with a picture of Morty Smith from Rick and Morty printed on it, and after telling my fur kids that I loved them and would return shortly, stepped out into the soupy night air. It was so warm I half considered staying inside where it was more comfortable. But I'd had a long day at work at the local dollar store, and definitely needed to get some mono e mono with the cool grass and my favorite smoking piece. Maybe that'd be mono e mono e mono? I dunno, anyway, where was I? Oh, yes. I was crossing the street to hop over the ditch and onto the side of the park, when I heard the strangest, most terrifying sound, something straight out of a nightmare. The best way I could describe it would be like the cry of some kind of animal giving birth, but the sound was so wet and gargled, as though the laboring beast's throat were slit. I was mid-jump when this horrendous, nightmare-fueling wail, and it scared me so badly that I'd tried to stop in mid-air, succeeded, only to fall into the ditch, probably three or four feet deep not including the extra eight to ten inches of height I'd had over said ditch. Pain exploded up my leg, blooming from my ankle in a sensation I know all too well as a sprain me being a klutz and all. I let out a cry of my own, grabbing my already swelling ankle and rushing to tighten my high-top shoe with a stick pushed down on either side as a makeshift splint until I could hobble back across the street. After making the impromptu support for my injured foot, I finally looked around for the source of what had given me such a fright. That's when I saw it, standing directly under a street light alongside a paved road leading through the park, ears perked and gaze trained directly on me. The creature was bigger than any deer I'd ever seen, even dwarfing me in its horrible stature. I'm no small woman by any means, 
standing at 6 feet tall and about 270 to 300 pounds. But this, I don't know, animal? It had to be all of my height, just at the shoulder. And the rack atop his head was a sight to behold in and of itself, or probably would have been, had it not been so badly battered, and in some parts completely snapped off at the end. At one point, I would have wagered that the beast was at least 24 to 26 points. He would have smashed the record for trophy buck, which is currently 22 points, for those who are curious. The moment I could tear my gaze away from the monstrous, darkly stained antlers crowning the beast, is the moment I really noticed that something was terribly, terribly wrong with the creature. Its fur was filthy and matted with what I can only hope wasn't the same deep crimson stuff staining its antlers, but due to how some patches of its body gleamed as though encrusted with liquefied rubies under the overhead light, my hopes are probably in vain. Yes, several chunks of its skin were completely gone, exposed flesh wriggling with plump, white little bodies that would occasionally fall away onto the paved road below. This creature was beyond sickly, he looked all but zombified. His skin barely hung on his bones, and his legs were just bent all wrong. This could have been a malformed deer that had just been abandoned young and gotten deathly ill, but I can't express enough to you all the sheer size of this thing. The bottom of its chin would easily come over the top of a brand new, big pickup truck like a dually or something. It couldn't be any smaller than a fully grown moose, I swear to you. Despite its horribly emaciated, even rotted state, it was massive, and it was beyond imposing. But the most horrifying part of all about this creature, is the eyes, or eye. One had obviously been gouged out at some point, replaced by a puckered, inflamed mass of blood, pus and more maggots, but the other one held enough malice, pure, unmistakable disgust and outrage at my very existence, for the both of them. I was completely frozen for what felt like just a moment, terrified beyond screaming at the sight of an almost skinless deer skull snarling with rage at me atop such a grotesquely huge body. The lack of visible muscle framing the creature gave me no illusions to the level of its strength, somehow I just know that if the thing wants me dead, I'll be dead. But finally the creature gave me what I can only call a nod of its disgusting, antlered head, then turned away and sauntered off towards the neighboring strip of woods. I swear it felt like I was only there for about a minute or two, but when I could finally move, blink, breathe, the eastern skies were starting to lighten. I had several missed calls and voicemails from a worried future fiancé, and numerous texts as well, all wondering where I was and why I hadn't come to bed. I rushed back home across the street and wrapped up my ankle to stave off the swelling, topped off with the occasional ice pack but I couldn't sleep for days after what I'd seen, felt and experienced. I was getting paranoid, jumpy, and my partner, godsend that he is, started to worry. I finally tried to tell him about what happened and what I'd experienced, but predictably he thought I'd just been tripping balls. However, notice that I hadn't even reached the park before this happened, I never got to light up. I was not under any influence when I'd seen the beast, not even when I'd lost almost 8 hours of time. Why am I telling you all this now, after almost 2 years of silence? Well, the past 3 nights, I've been hearing wet, guttural snorts and these terrible, snapping scrape sounds out by the tree in the front yard. 
and the heavy hoof sounds that precede and succeed those noises are more befitting those of a horse, or maybe a moose, rather than any deer. I'm beginning to wonder if the beast from across the street hadn't changed his mind about letting me survive witnessing his terrible majesty. I remember that night in the desolate heart of Iraq like it was yesterday. My name is Captain Daniel Raptor Mitchell, and I was part of a Navy SEAL team sent on a top-secret mission to capture Saddam Hussein. The planning and execution of this operation were unlike any other I'd ever experienced. Little did I know that it would be a mission that would forever haunt my dreams. Our team consisted of the best of the best, seasoned warriors with nerves of steel and a commitment to duty that ran deeper than the desert sands. The geopolitical stakes were astronomical. The world watched as our team of elite soldiers geared up for what would become the most crucial operation of our careers. Under the cover of night, we descended on Saddam's compound with the precision of a surgeon's scalpel. Our intelligence was impeccable, and we knew every inch of the target. The operation was swift, like a deadly dance choreographed to perfection. We secured Saddam without a hitch. It was a moment of triumph, a victory for justice. But the darkness that enveloped Saddam's lair held secrets darker than the dictator's own deeds. As we combed through the labyrinthine compound, we stumbled upon a chamber concealed in the bowels of the building. The air was thick with an otherworldly aura that sent shivers down our spines. The room was dimly lit, and the first thing that caught our attention was an eerie, pale hand. It looked human-like, but something was grotesquely wrong with it. Large, deadly claws protruded from its fingertips, and its skin was like nothing I'd ever seen, shiny and glass-like, seemingly covered in a clear, viscous liquid. Then, we saw the face. A large, terrifying face with milky white skin and eyes that gleamed with malevolence. The bluest veins ran beneath those eyes, pulsating ominously. The only thing moving was its tongue, long and serpent-like, slithering out of its gaping maw. The creature's most unsettling feature, however, were its antlers. Black as the deepest abyss, they resembled mold-infested wood, twisting and curling from its skull like the devil's own crown. This massive, deer-like humanoid stood before us, looming at a staggering seven to eight feet tall. It was unlike anything any of us had ever seen, a grotesque fusion of man and beast, a living nightmare. Fear gripped us as we instinctively opened fire on the abomination. Bullets struck its glistening skin, but it hardly flinched. The creature let out a bone-chilling scream that echoed through the compound, causing our hearts to race. Suddenly, men in dark suits and sunglasses stormed into the chamber. They identified themselves as Secret Service, and their orders were clear, the US government needed this creature alive. They said it was for analysis, to understand what it was and where it came from. Reluctantly, we ceased our attack. We couldn't believe it. Here we were, battle-hardened seals, facing an unholy terror, and yet, our own government wanted it for study. The Secret Service agents expertly subdued the creature and began preparations for its extraction. As we left the compound, Saddam Hussein in tow and that horrifying creature now a captive, I couldn't help but wonder about the geopolitical implications of our find. What secrets did this creature hold? 
How would it affect the world order? Only time would tell. Operation Desert Enigma was a success in capturing Saddam Hussein, but it left us with questions that haunted our dreams for years to come. The creature with the glass-like skin and the sinister antlers would forever remain an enigma, lurking in the shadows of our collective memory. It was one of those late nights on the job. But that didn't bother me at all. In fact, it was one of my favorite parts of being a park ranger. Hanging around late at night, with just a few of my fellow rangers in the middle of the woods, it was just like huddling around a campfire while you told stories. Except we were indoors around a fireplace. It was the middle of spring, but it had been cold lately, so while the afternoons were pleasant, the nights had been chilly. Which was why we were all inside gathered around a fire while on the clock. The ranger station was beyond comfortable with a fire, so I was contently sitting in one of the many leather couches facing it. We were all midway through a shift, and like many nights on the job, it was quiet, so we got to talking about nothing in particular. There's nothing like the natural flow of an unplanned conversation. Outside, the evening had slowly given way to night, and the darkness had settled upon the woods with its usual silent thoroughness. The area may be a park during the day, but at night, it was the woods. Parks inherently sound fun and brings to mind cookouts, whereas the woods has an inherently spooky vibe. There were four of us sitting by the fire in the ranger station on that chilly night. Me, Harland, Anthony, and Craig. Craig had just finished talking about his cousin's wedding when Anthony asked Harlan what his scariest story was from working here all these years. Usually, Harlan just chuckled and said he'd heard some crazy things over the years. But not this time. This time, he sat there quietly for a moment before he said, The Witch of Blackthorn Creek. That was when we all went completely still. If we were just like people huddled around a campfire, Harlan was the one in charge of building the fire. He was the ranger we always deferred to. He'd been on the job long enough to have earned that right. Harlan's family had also been in the area for generations, so if anyone had any stories to tell about what may have happened here, it was him. Plus he was a terrific guy. Hardworking and beyond helpful when you needed something. So when someone like Harlan tells you he's heard of a story like that, you listen. Intently. Especially with the tone of voice he used. Serious and no nonsense, without a trace of amusement. The Witch of Blackthorn Creek, Harlan began in a clear voice as we all gave him our full attention. The story was first told to me by my uncle George. Who had been a lumberjack for years. According to him, people said there was a curse on the land, which was placed there by a witch. It all started one year, when the harvest went bad. Since there had been nothing but plentiful harvests every year, it made people beyond suspicious. There was barely enough grain and stuff to get through winter. It didn't help matters that the town had generally been prosperous but had recently started to go through some financial difficulties. Then, numerous bits of misfortune happened within the community over the years. Houses burning down. People going missing and never being found again. Periodically, there would be something odd left lying around near where someone had vanished. Creepy things like weird-looking dolls made from wood that never failed to rattle people. 
There wasn't anyone around who people thought was capable of anything like this, and since one of the families in town had experienced something like this before in a different town many years ago, they suspected there was some kind of curse put on them. Especially after a few people who kept track of all the strange events realized all of them took place on a full moon. Harlan took a sip of his coffee before he continued. It all came to a head when there was a terrible accident at the town lumber mill. A fire that no one could figure out how it started. Several employees died and many others were badly injured, and the lumber mill, which was one of the biggest employers around, closed. That was when the paranoia that had been lingering under the surface boiled over. So when some people from town found an abandoned cottage in the woods near Blackthorn Creek with weird symbols written on the walls and the floor, they grabbed their torches, set the place on fire, and watched it burn. According to the crowd, the cabin took forever to burn. Much longer than the people thought possible. But once it did finally burn down, they took the ashes and buried them deep in the woods and didn't mark the location, hoping that would be the end of it. And, for a while, that seemed to be the case. But every once in a while, something would happen that would make people in town look over their shoulders. Nothing major. A bit of bad luck in the form of an injury. Or some suspicious noises outside the house after dark and perhaps some scratch marks on the door or the wall. But ever since then, People would be very careful what they did, especially if there was a full moon. Then he paused for a moment to look at the fire, which was crackling pleasantly in the fireplace. I couldn't tell you how old I was when I first heard the story, but I remember exactly how I felt. Confused. Because the story, although creepy and entertaining, didn't quite make sense to me. And I said something to Uncle George about that. And he laughed. Then he said he agreed that the story was long on atmosphere and short on believability. That's when he got serious. Told me that although the story was a bit of fiction, he never doubted that it came from somewhere, and there was indeed something going on out in the woods. Then he added that it didn't matter how old I was, where I was, who I was with, or what was going on. If I got a terrible feeling, I should listen to it. And I've listened to every feeling I've gotten since then. It's never served me wrong. He looked around at us, slowly taking us all in. I've never quite believed that story, but I will be the last person to deny that in all the years I've been out here, I've felt things on occasion. Things that made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. And on even fewer occasions, I've seen things. Fleeting glances at things that I wasn't sure I saw. But there was one time when I not only felt something, I heard something. The air in the ranger station was completely still. I briefly glanced at my colleagues as Harlan said this, and they met my glance, and I could see they were just as gripped by the story as I was. It was about 30 years ago, Harlan explained. I was just starting out as a park ranger. This was back in the early 90s when technology, and life in general, was very different from today. I'd grown up out in nature, and I'd seen plenty of scary movies, and more importantly, I'd grown up hearing countless spooky stories about what may or may not have been lurking outside, so I wasn't exactly sheltered. But there are some things you're never truly prepared to experience. The fire in the fireplace popped in the grate, but we were so absorbed in Harlan's story we barely noticed. 
There was plenty of wood in the fire, so we didn't have to worry about that for a while. It was early November. Halloween had just ended, which made everyone sad because I remember that year was a particularly fun one. Darkness seemed to be arriving earlier and earlier, so I was barely halfway through my shift when the sun was going down. I remember it had been raining almost every day, so the days were all gray and cloudy, and the nights were damp with plenty of fog. But that particular morning was dry. All the leaves that had clung to the trees had been scattered by the winds and rain, so they lay there on the grass, all damp and torn. My job on that particular day was to go around raking them up so they didn't completely cover the trails and paths that people walked on. The chill in the air was that chill only late fall can bring. The dampness that seems to soak into your skin and never let go. I had just finished one section of the park and was walking back to my truck when the rain started up again, and it did so with a fury. So I hustled it to the truck, got inside, and headed back to the ranger station where I planned to spend the rest of the evening. And since it was a quiet night at the ranger station, it looked like I would get what I wanted. I was used to working the late shift by myself as the night supervisor, so being alone didn't bother me. I'd always been a quiet type who liked to read a book, so it was an ideal situation for me. Except for that night. Harlan took a deep breath before he continued. Because Halloween was over and the rain had been steady, the park hadn't received as many visitors as it usually had. But I was inside the ranger station, this ranger station in fact, which was just as cozy and warm as you see it now. Plus now that I was done with my task, I was free to read a book, so I wasted no time in curling up by the fire with a paperback. I'd spent many a shift this way, and it was fine by me. I'd happily read a book on a nice day, but on a rainy day? Nothing better. Eventually, I started to get hungry. Since I'd just brought a light snack but turned out to be craving something bigger, I decided to order pizza. There was a local joint that was only a few minutes away that often delivered out here back then, so I didn't hesitate to give them a call. I ordered a medium pizza with pepperoni, and as I hung up, the rain started to really pound heavily on the station roof. I knew from experience that the rain pounding on the station roof could truly be loud. It seemed to surround you from all sides. But by the time the headlights pulled into the driveway, the rain had faded to a slight drizzle but I could see the grass leading up here was pretty well soaked, and there were numerous small puddles on both the grass and the road. The trees were swaying along with the winds, and the sky was getting darker by the minute as night was settling in. By now, the outdoor lights had started to switch on as the car from the pizza place pulled up in front of the station, its windshield wipers going back and forth as it stopped in front of the entrance. I stood in front of it, under the part of the roof that kept me out of the rain. The driver, a young guy named Derek in his early 20s, got out of the driver's seat and grabbed the pizza from the passenger's side. Derek had delivered here before, and he'd always done a great job. We chit-chatted as I handed him the cash with a generous tip. Then Derek handed me the pizza and was just about to go back to his car before he stopped and stared at something behind me. He paused, and said that it would probably sound crazy, but it looked like there was a woman lurking in the woods near the ranger station. We all sat there silently for a moment before Harlan continued. I remember just standing there when he told me.
The words sounded almost foreign as Derek said them out loud. My first reaction was that it was impossible. But there was only one way to find out, so I turned behind me to look at where he was pointing. He took another sip of coffee. The cluster of trees he was pointing at was a dense area of tall pine trees. They've been long gone by now. But back then, there wasn't much in the way of illumination out there, but even I could see there was nothing there. I stood there, the pizza still clutched in my hand, as I waited for anything to happen. But nothing emerged from the woods. I was just about to turn back to Derek when I heard get out from beside me in a hushed voice, clear as could be. I turned around immediately to look at Derek, and without saying a word, I knew he'd heard it too. But while it was creepy as could be, I didn't know for sure what it meant. It didn't come out as an ominous command. More like a warning. But I won't lie, standing there outside, I'd never felt fear like that before. I'd been afraid before, and I'd been afraid after, but not like that. That fear was less like a feeling and more like a part of your body. Like it's always there, and only rarely are you truly aware of it. Sitting there watching Harland, it was clear that although we were sitting there in the present, he had been immediately transported back to that cold November night. I couldn't have told you how much time passed. May have only been a minute or two. But despite the dwindling light, I thought I could see shapes moving far out in the woods. Very far out. After a moment, you couldn't see anything at all. Then Harlan's voice became quieter. To this day, I have no idea why that sight filled me with so much fear. Just like I also have no idea how I knew it was people. But I did. And I knew it was people, as in more than one. Much more than one. But I had no idea exactly how many. Then, almost as if on cue, I heard the word, now. And it was all the motivation I needed to tell Derek we had to go. He didn't need to be told twice, because we hopped in his car and got out of there as fast as we could. Didn't stop for about 20 miles and we were far away from the ranger station. By that point the fear had slowly faded and I was starving, so we split the pizza while debating what to tell my superiors. I eventually decided to say that I was feeling really sick and went to see a doctor I knew, Harlan chuckled. But it didn't take long for me to realize my excuse for leaving would be completely forgotten. Because after I left, the ranger station had been broken into by a group of people. The security camera we had at the time saw all six of them, dressed from head to toe in black, break right through the front door. Just crashed right through it. Then, Minutes later, they came back out without taking anything, and vanished into the trees. The cops thoroughly searched the area but found nothing. I found out when I called my superiors to tell them I had to leave because I was feeling horrible. From the time on the camera, they appeared to arrive within mere minutes after I left with Derek. We all exchanged a look as the fact that he really was talking about this ranger station dawned on us. Sitting across from us, Harlan didn't say anything, but I knew he could tell the three of us were seeing the ranger station like never before. The conclusion the cops reached, Harland eventually said, is that it was a gang of professional criminals who saw the ranger station and decided to see what they could find. Since there was apparently nothing they could make use of, they split. And every year on that day since that happened, 
I've taken a single flower and left it by where Derek says he saw someone that night. I've never seen or heard that voice since that night, but on occasion, I've felt the presence of something or someone watching me, and not in an unpleasant way. But that's the thing about the woods. There's no telling what you may find in them. And if you're really paying attention, it's amazing what you can learn. Like I learned that November night, all those years ago, was a full moon. The clouds just happened to obscure it out here. I've been in the military since I was 18. I'm now 67 years old. In my younger days, I was blessed to have been from a family of hunters and outdoorsmen, so I've always been around guns, dogs, and hunting. In the early 1960s, when I was still a kid, we lived outside a small town on a large farm. This had been in our family for over 100 years. It was 1968. We were working on our dogs, we would take about 15 or so of them out on a run for breeding purposes. There was myself and another fella who'd been together for about five years or more. We knew each other real well. The way I figure it, the only reason the dogs saw what they did is that we were upwind of whatever it was, and the dogs somehow smelled it and went and stood their ground, looking, standing their ground until this thing came upon us. It must have been about 5.30 in the evening, I reckon. The sun was going down, but we had plenty enough light to see what we were doing. We'd run these critters pretty hard. We were out in the country where there was nobody around for miles except an occasional farmer. We didn't see anybody else that day. It started raining about noon and continued to rain into the afternoon, a real cold, windy December type of day. Not until about 5.30 or 6 when it quit raining, we were getting ready to turn the dogs back in when we started hearing them bark and growl. They took off out into the woods, they went in a big circle, came running back in our direction, which was now upwind of whatever it was. To scare them, they ran right by us and headed home to the fields. I've never seen them run the way they did that day. They were scared and running for all they were worth. We both got a good look at the thing when it stepped out of the woods not more than 30 to 40 feet away from us. At first, we saw just its head sticking above the grass in a small clearing. We watched it for a minute or so, and then all of a sudden, it rose up from where it was standing and began running on two legs. It ran right into the field about 50 feet from us. It had black fur that was very coarse looking, even for this time of year. It was kind of like fur on a bear, but it stood up on two legs just like you and I do. The face was very wide, with eyes that were kind of glowing and pulsating white. It had very long arms, not quite as long as an ape's, but they hung right by its chest, and the hands only had three fingers, no thumbs that I could see. The fingers resembled more like claws. We were both looking at this thing with our mouths hanging open. It took off running, headed right for the edge of a big 10-foot deep cut bank along the road. When it got to that cut bank, it never hesitated once. It ran right off the side of that bluff, about 6 feet or so, then just disappeared. The head and eyes were what we saw first. We knew we were looking at something real, but the rest of the body took some time to develop. It was down in a low spot when it stood up and started running. That's when we realized exactly what it was. There wasn't any doubt in our minds. 
Although I don't know what it was, whether it was an ape or something, I've heard stories about werewolves before, but that thing wasn't a wolf. It didn't walk like one, nor did it look like one to me either. Whatever that was scared the heck out of us. It didn't even make a sound, never growled or spoke or said one word. It didn't even appear to try and want to harm us, it just ran off. Like I said, right up the side of that bank, maybe 15 feet high, without so much as looking back once at us. The only reason I'm telling you the story is that whatever it was came right back down off that bluff and got one of them hounds. The rest of them hounds caught up with it about 2 miles. We didn't find the dog until the next day, about 10 miles south of where we stood and watched it run off. It was a good hunting dog, one of the best I'd ever had. And here is where an exceptionally cold winter night of negative 25 degrees below zero, maybe worse than that. The weather had broken, and we were hunting raccoons in the woods when we ventured onto some open ground and ran into whatever it was that had the hound. The dog was dragging itself, its back broken in three places, and didn't have a mark on it except where its back was broke. The tracks left by whatever got him were unlike anything I've ever seen before. They weren't human tracks, they were too big for that, but they weren't no animal tracks either, they were bigger. That's about all I can tell you. I don't know what it was we saw that day, but whatever it was really scared us and ran off with a fine hound dog. Something I've never seen before or since. I just wanted to tell you all that before something bad happened to you out there in the woods. I know most of what I've seen over the years has been pretty real, but with some of them, when the weather's bad or when it's dark outside, I can't say for sure really that they're there unless I see them again. We went backpacking in the eastern Sierra a couple years ago. A heavy traffic trail where hikers take horses in. As we were approaching, 7 p.m.-ish, where we were going to sleep for the night we passed a couple that said watch out for the horse. We went a few minutes ahead and on the trail there was a dead pack horse. Sun was pretty set at this point and we had about a mile or two to go before we were going to stop. This massive horse lying across the trail was kinda disturbing and sad. As we set up camp two miles down the valley all I could think about was some scavenger feeding on that horse that night. Never got the story in what happened as we came out a few miles ahead of where we went in. Trailhead was Little Lakes Valley Trailhead outside Tom's place in the Easter Sierra. To start out, my name is Doug, and my father and I are what you would call avid hunters, and we know what is in the woods where we hunt. Well, we took a trip to West Virginia to go black bear hunting. I was back at camp, resting from an early morning bear hunt, and my father went out to go hunting for the afternoon. I knew where he would be in case of an emergency. Well, he gets to his spot and stays there until the sun sets, and then he starts to head back to the side-by-side -side he took out to get to his spot. On his way back, he heard footsteps, and remember, this is in the mountains where only hunters and rare locals know where they're at. The footsteps he heard were nothing human or bare. He stopped for a second and kept walking, and then the most blood-curdling yet powerful yell came from behind him. He thought, so this is how it ends. Well, it'll be a hell of a race if he gets to the side-by-side. -side. 
As soon as he got in, something came running up at him and threw a giant rock at him. My father came back to the camper. I was waiting for him, and that was the first time I ever saw my father scared. He didn't come out of the camper until it was time to leave, and we left with no further incident whenever we returned. We used to go night hiking when there was a full moon. In the summer it's painfully hot during the day, so we would night hike instead. My boyfriend and I had just finished a big loop and were about a mile before the trailhead. He pointed into the trees on the hillside and said, check out that owl. You could see two big yellow eyes up between the trees and the slope. Then its head moved. Definitely was not an owl. Definitely was a dogman that had been watching us. Let me start off with a few disclaimers. This isn't my story, it's a friend of my grandfather, and it's been a few years since I was told it, so the memory might be a bit hazy. It may not be scary to most people, but I thought I would share it anyway. Also, if there are any mistakes in the story, I apologize. At the time of writing this, I was getting over a concussion. This story happened in upstate New York. My grandfather's friend was hunting with one other person. For privacy reasons, I won't use any names of the people in this story. Anyway, they came across a road and decided to split up, going in opposite directions on the road. He perched himself on a rock and waited until about 4 in the afternoon, but nothing showed. At this time, he decided to meet up with his friend. Right when he got off the rock he was sitting on, he saw something walking in the woods across a clearing not far from him. The thing walked out of the trees, and it had its right side facing him. He didn't know if it was a bear or a person, and he didn't know whether to talk to it or not. He then decided to whistle at it. The thing walked away from him on two legs back into the forest, disappearing from his sight. It then walked back out of the forest, this time facing him. They stared at each other before the thing walked back into the woods again and out of sight. My grandfather's friend walked back down the road away from the thing he saw, where he saw his friend walking up to him. He asked him if he had been down where he saw the creature. His friend said he never went down that way. To this day, he insists that it wasn't a bear because it would have stumbled on two legs, and he swears it wasn't a person because they would have alerted him of their presence. He insists that it was a Bigfoot. This is coming from a second-hand source, so you can judge on whether or not it's true, but I hope to find what he saw. I'm here to recount my father's chilling encounter with Bigfoot, which took place in the summer of 1973 on the outskirts of Davie, Florida. At that time, this region was characterized by vast expanses of undeveloped land, primarily orange groves and citrus fruit plantations. The local news was buzzing with reports of a creature known as the skunk ape, a name commonly associated with Bigfoot or Sasquatch in the Florida Everglades. These sightings have persisted to this day. My father, in his early 20s at the time, often shared this story with me while I was growing up, and I thought it was worth sharing with you in the context of Bigfoot encounters. On this particular evening, around 8 p.m., my father was visiting his cousin Gary, 
who lived in a groundskeeper's house nestled amidst the orange groves of the Everglades. The house was surrounded on three sides by these groves, extending for miles toward the wilderness of the Everglades. The property also had a long front yard with a driveway leading to the road. My father was in the company of three close friends, and they were all gathered together, deep in conversation, when something utterly unexpected occurred. Suddenly, an overpowering, foul odor assaulted their nostrils. The stench was unlike anything they had ever encountered. My father, having previously encountered skunks, recognized that the pungency of this smell was similar, yet distinctly different. It carried a wild, animalistic note, which immediately sent their minds racing to the reports of the skunk ape that had recently been featured in the news. The smell was so disconcerting that it raised alarm among the group. They were, after all, in a remote location, surrounded by the vast and dark wilderness of the Everglades. It was unsettling to think that they might be sharing this isolated space with an unknown and potentially dangerous creature. The group's curiosity and concern grew, and they decided to investigate the source of the odor. The layout of the property played a significant role in their decision. The house stood amid orange groves, and their endeavor led them to the backyard, where the smell seemed to be coming from. However, as they ventured further from the house, the inky darkness of the night made it impossible to discern anything beyond the reach of the yard's lights. Arming themselves with various firearms, including rifles and pistols, they embarked on a mission to confront whatever was responsible for the eerie odor. My cousin Gary even had a high-caliber elephant gun and a .30-caliber machine gun at his disposal. They were determined to confront the intruder. With hearts pounding and adrenaline surging, they scanned the perimeter, attempting to make sense of their surroundings in the limited light. Their shouts and taunts echoed in the night, challenging whatever lurked in the shadows to reveal itself. Despite their fervor, they received no response. Then, an ominous noise shattered the silence, a massive branch snapped within ten feet of the outermost reach of the lights. The group stood on edge, acutely aware of the proximity of whatever was responsible for the noise. The tension in the air was palpable as they readied themselves to confront the unseen intruder. Yet, whatever creature or entity had been lurking in the darkness had retreated into obscurity. The woods fell silent once more, and the grotesque odor began to dissipate, leaving the group outside for a few more moments, filled with a mix of unease and adrenaline. Eventually, they returned inside, resuming their night, though the experience had shaken them profoundly. The following morning, their curiosity led them to investigate the site. They hoped to find evidence of the mysterious intruder or some clue as to what had occurred during the night. What they discovered only deepened the mystery, a massive, 10-inch diameter branch had been torn from a tree, matching the spot where they had heard the branch snap the previous night. Their exploration didn't end there. My brother Dominic ventured deeper into the Everglades, hoping to uncover any signs of the creature's presence. After some time, he stumbled upon a massive cave, a den that stretched approximately 10 feet across. Inside, he found the remains of various animals and an unsettling, pungent odor. The den was meticulously constructed, leaving my brother in a state of profound unease. To provide some context, 
My brother was no stranger to wildlife and had encountered predators like mountain lions before, yet this experience frightened him in a unique and unsettling way. The story takes an even more disturbing turn when my brother revealed that, not long after finding the den, a horse had been discovered nearby with its head violently torn from its body. The sheer force required to inflict such damage left everyone in shock. There are no bears in that area, and the Everglades' native predators could not have been responsible for such a gruesome act. The encounters my family experienced in the early 1970s remain etched in our memories, leaving us with questions that still linger. What could be strong enough to rip a horse's head from its body? What intelligent, elusive force lurked in the Florida wilderness, hidden in the shadows, and emitting that ghastly odor? While Florida has since seen substantial development, particularly in the areas where these events occurred, the memories of those eerie nights continue to raise questions about the unknown entities that may still inhabit the wild places of our world, waiting to be discovered or to remain forever enigmatic. So this was about two years ago in my garden at about 3 a.m. I just got a puppy and he'd wake me up to go outside at silly hours of the morning. Anyway I heard a couple days before from one of the neighbors that someone was standing on her shed roof just laughing at her and her family while they were watching TV. They called the police but he was gone as soon as he heard the sirens. Apparently someone else around the corner reported the same thing a week before but he apparently had some sort of shiv but the police didn't find him. Back to my part in this. So my lovely little pupper was running around the garden and I was just standing there looking around and I saw him standing on someone else's shed. I grabbed my pup and ran in the house. I think I threw an orange at him to try and scare him off but he didn't even budge. I was about to call the police when I heard a screech and saw loads of police running down the alleyway by my house. I turned to look at the guy but, he was gone. The police called for a helicopter and everything. He was never found but stopped doing it. I personally suspect it as being the Croydon, London, UK, cat killer as both people had cats but who knows. Generally feeling shaken up remembering it all as I'm writing this. My friend once showed up in a panic at my old house, where I lived with my, now, ex. She was really worried asking if we were alright and what happened. We couldn't figure out what she meant, we'd just been at home that day. She showed us her phone. On her calls, were three missed calls and a voicemail from my phone number, an hour before. The voicemail was mostly garbled shouting and crying, but it definitely sounded like my voice, then my ex telling me to calm down, then me crying again. My phone had no record of the calls, or the voicemail. We hadn't argued, or yelled. I hadn't cried. We still don't know what happened, but it was weird as heck. I took a solo backpacking trip to Japan in 2018. During the first week of the trip a group of travelers and myself decided to go and drink at one of the local karaoke bars. After approximately two hours of constant drinking and singing we all left the place fairly drunk. We were all on the street when myself and a girl from the group decided that we needed to go to the toilet. 
We left the group that was congregating on the sidewalk and entered a building a block or two away. We caught an elevator up a few floors and exited. As we were walking down these red felt corridors we approached the entry of what seemed to be an old school Japanese gentleman's club. The tipsy Danish girl whom I was with walked straight on into the place and I instantly got tingles in the back of my neck. Every single Japanese man there was looking at her as she strolled on up to the bar. I felt something was off and grabbed her wrist and swiftly pulled her out. We jogged out of that place and came to a set of fire stairs. We started to briskly walk down them while talking about that weird encounter. This is where it gets done. During our rush downstairs we went one floor lower than we should have and ended up in the basement. As I rounded the corner I saw a man dressed in a SWAT uniform couching with his gun drawn, his back to us. In the room I could count about three to four dead Japanese men riddled with bullet holes leaning up against pillars and on the floor. I grabbed my Danish friend and noped the F out of that place. Still to this day I don't know what the F I saw. Was it a snuff? Was it role play? I dunno. I was very drunk but I also know what I saw. Around when I was in middle school I went to a friend's house to hang out and their mother pulled out a Ouija board. This particular one was marketed towards speaking with angels, for us to use for fun. There were about five or six of us using it and asking it various questions and when it was my turn I chose to see if I could speak with my father who had passed some years prior. I decided to ask questions that no one else in the room could possibly know and the board gave the correct answer every time. I'm not religious in the slightest and have a more than healthy level of skepticism, and the same could be said when I was that age as well. So I decide to remove my hand from the board because I knew it was possible that I could be subconsciously moving it to the right place. I keep asking it a couple more questions and it keeps giving the correct answer. So I'm pretty freaked out at this point and choose to try to rationalize what happened in my head. The next kid starts asking questions about one of his dead relatives and it tells him a detail about their death that he didn't know but sounded pretty plausible. At least he seemed to think so as he locked himself into a bedroom after that in hysterics. I don't know what happened in that house to this day but it was the closest I've ever come to what I would call a supernatural experience. My boyfriend and I are currently remodeling our house, so we're living in the old garage that we've converted into a living space while the rest of the house is gutted. The door that leads to the rest of the house is right next to bed and I always lock it every night because, you know, it's scary out there. Well one night it was around 2 in the morning and we had a knock on the door. We both heard it, and it woke us both up. This would mean someone was inside our house essentially knocking on our bedroom door. However when we finally got the courage to get up and look all the doors and windows were locked and there was no way anyone could have gotten in or out. So I still don't know who or what knocked on our door. There is a sloped field behind my house with forest at the top and forest at the bottom. When I was little, one morning around 8 am I saw a child sprint out of the forest and run down the hill as fast as he could. It struck me as odd because I don't have any close neighbors. He was wearing jeans and a red jacket and the kid was probably around 10 years old. 
I told my parents and they didn't believe me but I knew what I saw. A few years later my dad came to me and told me he saw the same thing. A kid in jeans and a red jacket sprinting down the hill from the forest. I was with my parents at a small bar near my home and there was a man that could not speak but he used his hands to communicate with me. I remember talking to him and then he gave me a flower although I could not hear him I could clearly understand what he wanted to say. After a while my parents said we are leaving so I left the old man alone. In car my mom said didn't you get bored? No I was talking with a person all the time, he could not speak but I could understand him and then my mom went what person? I didn't see a person with you at all. My husband used to play hockey and his games were usually late. He would come home around midnight. On one of those nights, my son and I were in bed when I heard my husband's truck pull in. He dropped his keys outside of the door, he came inside the house and slammed the door so hard, the walls shook, so, not like him. I looked out the window, to make sure it really was him, and his truck wasn't there. I walked out of the bedroom and I see my son standing in front of his door with a baseball bat. He whispered, it's not dad. As we stood there frozen in fear, the TV came on full blast. I called 911 and was told that help was on its way. Finally, we see flashlights through the downstairs window and see two police officers walking the perimeter of the house. They knock on the door and I let them in and the first thing they ask is why is the TV on so loud? I tell them the story and they check every inch of the house, all the doors, deadbolts, and windows are locked, so, they tell us there's no way this could have happened. They start looking at us like we made it up. I called my husband to come home since the officers had to leave, my son begged them to stay. As soon as they left, the dining room chandelier started flickering and the lights turned off. We just sat there in fear until my husband got home. When we told my husband what happened, he immediately said I guess if I turn the TV on, the volume will be all the way up. Yes. I turned the TV off instead of turning down the volume. I turned the TV on. The volume was almost all the way down. To this day, I have no idea what happened that night. But, I know, something was in our house. When I was really young, like six maybe. I woke up one morning and found a huge scar on the top of my foot. It looked like an old scar, but I had never seen it before. I showed my parents and tried explaining that this is new and was never there before, but they weren't interested. I played with it all day, utterly confused and nervous. Next morning, it was gone. My foot was back to normal. Later that say, I dropped a coffee cup and a piece of it sliced the top of my foot open, right where the scar had been. And sure enough, it left the exact same scar I had seen the day before. I had been cooking breakfast in my in-law's guest house with my dog when he suddenly started barking at something in the corner of the room. Nothing was there. He started backing up as if whatever he was barking at was coming closer to him. He was using his deep intimidation bark which I had only heard a few times before. Tail tucked, 
totally freaked out. Knowing the house was originally built by the first owner who died many years ago, everyone jokes about it being haunted. A friend claims he saw shadows during in the months he lived in there and sometimes we hear footsteps while in the garage below. This is when I decided it was time to go. Friendly ghost or not I was not about to stick around. My dog sprinted out of there as fast as he could checking behind him on the way out. An hour later I am exhausted and napping in the main house. I'm not sure how I began to lucid dream as I have not really done it much in the past. At some point in my dream I decided to go back into the guest house. As clear as day, I hear a man talking about the house. Just a normal conversation almost like he was showing me around the house. I then get this feeling like something is lurking behind me. As I turn, I see this black, hunched figure and at this point I am freaked out. It jumps over the banister to the stairs and I can hear the loud, heavy stomps down the stairs. I even felt the vibrations. It was so real. Needless to say, I did not go back into that place for a few days. Nothing like that has happened since but I was really shaken up. Can't explain it. I was 21 and really into primitive camping in 2015. I had taken a long trip to Daniel Boone National Forest in Kentucky in the spring. I had my Borer Collie with me, who loved the forest. We had a been there more than 10 times for overnight trips at this point. After finding our normal place, we set out and hiked 10 miles, and we had ran into a handful of people on the trail. We camped overnight. When we woke up, had breakfast, got packed up and headed out. It was about noon. About an hour into our walk the second day, every sound stopped. And when I say sound stopped, I mean things were absolutely dead quiet. It was terrifying. I couldn't hear the wind, I couldn't hear water trickling by the stream, no birds. Nothing. My ears rang terribly because of the silence. I can't emphasize how terrified I was. I had never experienced anything like this. And then, my border collie growled. I could hear the growl. It sounded so strange in the quiet. And at that point, I knew that it wasn't just my ears. I talked to my dog and tried to calm her down, and I could hear my voice. When I took a step, I would hear the step. It wasn't just me, it wasn't my ears. My dog was reacting too. After about 45 seconds, things returned to normal. Completely normal. The wind was there, we could hear birds. The stream. Everything, completely normal. My dog and I hiked out and left immediately. I'm an avid hiker now and constantly out on trails. Nothing close to this has ever happened again. I swear to God I still have nightmares. I've never been back to that forest. Was in the military and we made enemy contact on the side of a major highway that ran through the whole country. There was a convoy being attacked so we went to help and took up positions on the east side of the highway using a dried up canal bank as cover. My HMMV was equipped with 50 caliber Enlora's thermal image surveillance device. Our platoon took up our positions and fired on the enemy. Our fire devastated these dudes. Not to be graphic, but we observed these dudes literally falling apart in the thermal imaging. 
It was night time and the call was made that we had to wait until first light to do the battle damage assessment due to these particular insurgents booby trapping their positions with mines and IEDs. The thought was that we could see better in the morning, and see trip wires or disturbed earth and pressure plates better and avoid any possible traps. We overwatched the enemy's positions all night and not a thing moved or was seen until dawn. We loaded up and went to assess the area. When we got there, there was no bodies, no shell casings, not a drop of blood anywhere. It made the hair on my neck stand up. We had watched their bodies basically explode that night and there was no trace anyone had been there at all besides some water bottles and cigarette butts. Now, they did have a concealed route to the position we were not aware of until dawn and this particular group of insurgents was known to collect their dead to avoid us finding them and for superstitious reasons but damn. Not a drop of blood anywhere. That particular event was the eeriest, and has stuck with me ever since. It was in 2006.